I find it interesting that he couldn't even get my name right when we started. It's like, whoa, does he not know who I am? Thanks. Hey, it's really great to be here today. I'm excited about being able to step in for Pastor Brent. And if you are a guest today, man, I'm so glad you're here. Come back next week, and he'll be bringing the word in a greater way. So I hope you'll do that. Today, we're picking up an Acts. We're in Acts chapter 5. We're going to be looking at just kind of following along where Pastor Brent has been, been in this whole idea of the church and what the church is. In that song that we just sang, we were able to talk about the church being alive, God forming the church and the flame that he set about the church. And today, that's what we're talking about, that boldness is ahead for the church. And it really is on the church, is who we are, is what God is doing in our midst. As he was saying, um, I, we do pastor, Elizabeth, my wife, and pastor in southern Indiana, just across from Louisville, Kentucky, and New Albany, Indiana, at Graceland Baptist Church. And I've been there a few years now, and just really seeing God do some amazing things in the life of our church there. We have uh, another preaching pastor and some other guys on staff, and they're preaching today, and so we share the pulpit in a little different way, and so... They're taking care of that today, and I'm honored to be here before you. You know, I grew up here in actually southern Ohio. I went to high school at Carlisle High School. I don't know if you guys know where that is, not too far away, just in the same county, uh, just on the other side of county. And so I just saw God do some great things in the church there where I grew up, and God called the ministry and then college and seminary and all those things. But to be here to talk about the church and who the church is and what the church is doing is vital. So if you have your Bible, we're in Acts chapter 5. Maybe you're using an iPhone, iPad, whatever you're using. We're going to look at chapter 5, some things about it. Really, we're going to pick up in verse 12. I think last week we finished with the story of in, in the beginning of chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira and what happened in that story. If you weren't here... Uh, you need to go back online and look at that at YouTube, pick up that that message, because it really had to do with what the church is about, right? It had to do with an, a very important matter in the life of the church, and that matter is sin, sin in the life of the church. What does it look like, and how does it destroy the church? You might remember that sermon uh, from going back to chapter 4, which we are going to go back and look a couple of things in chapter 4. At the end of chapter 4, the church had come together. They were doing some amazing things. God really was working in the church, and they were just seeing God in a powerful way. Matter of fact, at the end of chapter 4, they had given everything to each other. They were all living in a way that was encouraging and helping each other. And then it says, but in chapter 5, Anirus and Sapphira brought in the money in order to say that they were going to give to the church. They didn't give to the church what they said they were going to, and they died. I mean, God struck them dead. Why? Because, as you heard last week, really it became a matter of the sin that was in the church. And God then began to say to the church, if you're going to be my church, then you're going to do these things and you're going to be holy. God's standard for that has not changed. Now, sometimes we think it has. Sometimes we live as if it has changed and we do things inside that. But God's standard for the church has not changed. We are to be a holy people as he is holy. Now, in verse 12 is where we're going to pick up today, and we're going to come out of that, that very fact that the church is afraid. They end, it ends in chapter 5, verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church. Matter of fact, you know that word right there, church, is the first time in Acts that it's used in that same way. We think about Acts being all about the church. But the first time we hear the word church in Acts, 
They are in great fear of what the Lord has done. Now, the word church itself means called out ones. Those who are the ecclesia, those who are called out from God. So in the very beginning, he's saying that we are a called out people, right? That's who we are. Now, over in chapter 4, which we're going to get back, back to, the whole idea of boldness becomes reality. How is a church going to be bold in being able to do what God has called us to do? So now we're in chapter 5, verse 12. We read this. Now, after this whole deal, the church is afraid. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on them. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, in that passage, we begin to realize that the church is doing a work, right? And inside that, God has a special place of what the church is going to do. Now, as we begin to look at this passage, we begin to recognize that boldness is a big part of that. And what they have done is to understand that God has already provided for them the promises. So they need to see the evidence of the promises of what God has already said. There's an evidence of the promises that God has given to you and given to the church. And here, the writer of Acts, Luke, wants us to see those promises. Now, I want you to take your Bible, wherever you, whatever you have, and go back to the fourth chapter, just a couple of pages back, or maybe even one page over. Because at the end of that chapter, really starting in verse 28, he says, they were together in verse 28 to do whatever your hand and your plan and predestined take place. Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. See, back in chapter 4, the apostles had been in a place where they were actually proclaiming the word of Christ. And now they had actually been in prison for doing that. They've been brought before the council. And there was great discussion about how the apostles, how the new church was going to live in the persecution. But they were willing to be bold about that. Now, the reason they were willing to be bold about that, the expectation of the promises comes as they saw the answer to prayer. That's where they started, right? That's where they began in chapter 4, verse 29. They're praying to the Lord. They're saying, Lord, do something spectacular. Do something with signs and wonders and the work of your Holy Spirit so that we may lift up the name of Jesus. So as a church, if we're going to be able to do the work of the church, it starts as we begin to recognize that God is going to answer the prayers that you, as the church, are praying. Then becomes the question, what prayers are you praying? What are you asking God to do in the life of the church? What are you asking God to do in your life as you are among the people? What are you asking God to do in the life of a body of believers centered right here in southern Ohio that has an opportunity to reach the community? Well, that's what the church was about, right? It was about the purpose of lifting up the name of Jesus. It was about the purpose of being able to proclaim who Christ is and what he was going to do and what Christ could do for individual lives. So. It really does start with prayer. 
We say that often as we are doing things. We say that oftentimes as we're just passing by things that, we, hey, we need to be a people of prayer. But in verse 29 of chapter 4, it was the prayer that God answers over in chapter 5, verse 12. He answered them so that they may understand that the people might see what God was doing among them. Now, at the same time that he answered their prayers, he gave them the authority of the leadership. The authority of the leadership of, of the apostles was the fact that they were teaching the word, they were being able to make an impact in the life of those who were hearing the word, and they were able to lift up the name of Jesus. That's what they were doing. If you look back over in chapter 4, verse 29, and they are, perform they are performing these through the name of your holy servant Jesus. That's what the prayer was, verse 30. And when they prayed, the place they were shaken, the place that they were gathered together was shaken. So the authority of leadership, the authority of those who are saying, Here's what God is doing in the life of our church. Now, the question, again, in your own life, what leadership role do you have? You can't just be the kind of person that sets back and say, the pastor's going to do it, or this guy's going to do it, or the, the elders are going to do it. We have to be the kind of people that have joined together because we are the leaders of the church, all of us. We are in this together. It's not just a few. It's not just a few of us that are doing the work of ministry, right? The Bible teaches us that, what we're doing is teaching so that the church is doing the work of the ministry. What does that mean? That means when you go outside these walls, when you go to work, when you go to school, when you're around people that you're around, your responsibility is to live out a life of boldness in Christ so that others might recognize Christ in you, right? The boldness, the very idea that we are lifting up the name of Christ in everything that we do because we are the church. It's not a building. It's not a place that we go to. It's the people of God who are called out. That's what he says. So we see an answer to prayer with the authority of the leadership, but we also understand that inside this, there's a great assurance of unity, right? So when you see this in verse 12, he says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the apostles, and they were all together. The people were together. Again, you go back to the end of chapter 4, and you recognize that here they were, all the believers, as it says in verse 32 of chapter 4, the full number of those believing were one heart and one soul, and said to one another that they belonged to him with his own, and they, are, they had everything in common. You see, there's a unity that happens inside the church. How does a culture around us recognize that we are a body of believers? How does a culture around our community recognize that we have something that provides hope for the community? Well, according to God's word, that happens through the church being a unified people, being in unity with each other, being together in the gospel, being together for the sake of love and ministry inside the church, right? That means what we're called to do. So if we're going to have prayer to do that and see God answer that prayer, and we're going to do that through all of us being together as the leaders in the church, it's going to happen as we are unified. Unified to do what, right? Not just to have good fellowship meals, not just to come together occasionally, but the unity is around the gospel so that they were seeing God do miraculous works in order to point to himself. 
in order to lift up the name of Jesus. So he calls us into unity so that in our unity, we are proclaiming the gospel. Now, the last thing that we see, I think, in verse 12 is that they were appealing to the culture. They, they were inside the culture. It says there at the end of verse 12 that they were in Solomon's portico. What is that? Well, it's the temple area. The temple area was a large temple area that not everyone could go in, but on each side of the temple was a large portico or a colonnade, and it was a gathering place, a large space. And so they were gathered in that large space outside the temple wall, and that's where the early Christians would go together. They didn't have an assembly place. They were meeting in homes. They were doing home Bible studies. They were reaching people through their homes. But when they did gather, they gathered together near the temple in this portico, in this colonnade, which was a large open space. And out here in public, they were preaching the gospel. Out here where the culture could hear them, they were preaching the gospel. They weren't hiding from the culture. They weren't afraid of the culture. They didn't know what was going to happen to the culture, but they were willing to engage in the culture. Why? Because they understood the boldness that they had in Christ. They understood that Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit was so alive, so prevalent in them as a church people, the called out ones, that they were willing to do whatever it was going to take in order to preach the gospel because they understood there was evidence of God's promise. God told them that he was going to give them their power. God told them at Pentecost he was going to come upon them in a fresh new way. And that was his promise, and that was what he was doing. So, you see, church, as we begin to look through this passage, and we begin to say, what is God promising us to do? It's going to come as we are a praying people, right? It's going to come as we are the kind of people who are bringing together the leadership to say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go as we pray, as we come together in unity, as we take the gospel outside the walls, as we take the gospels to the culture in which we live. So as we continue through the passage, we see verse 13 and 14, and we begin to say, okay, if we're going to recognize the evidence of God's promise, then we are going to have to experience the presence of the Lord. And that's what they did. Now, go back again to chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, or at thir verse 31 of chapter 4. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's a key phrase there, right? What is that key phrase? Well, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What does filled with the Holy Spirit mean? It means they understood the presence of the power of God in their life. They understood the presence of the Lord with them. Well, let's look a little bit closer at this passage. Will you just look at verse 14 and 15 with me? It says at the beginning of verse 13, verse 13, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Now, there's a great debate on what none of the rest mean. Who was afraid to join the apostles? Was it the church that we looked at up there in verse 11? Was the church afraid to join the apostles? Well, remember, they had just seen Ananias and Sapphira die because of their sin. So who was afraid? Was it those people in the church who worried about their lives, who were saying, man, I have sin in my life, so I'm not going to show up? 
I'm not going to go out there and preach because there, there might be something that could happen to me. But whatever it is, the church, we know, according to this verse, is living in fear. Right? It tells us that in verse 11. They were afraid the church, the called out ones, were living in fear. Now, the great question is, do we live in fear? We live in the 21st century. Very different than the first century in some ways. Technology, communications, travel, all those ways. Maybe not so different than persecution. Maybe not so different in the way things look for the church. Maybe not so different in a rejection of Christ, especially worldwide. So when we begin to see this, we say, where is the church living in? Are we living in fear or are we struggling with that? Now, the other group of people that are in this passage are the people that it tells us in verse 13, but the people held them in high esteem. Well, the people is not the church, right? The people are, are the lost people, the people who are not a part of the church, but they held the apostles in high esteem, right? Why did they hold them in the high esteem? Because they saw the evidence of God in their lives. They saw that the power of God was in them. Now, the people were searching for truth. They were trying to understand in their first century culture all the things that are going on. What it's like to live in this first century culture. Is it any different than living in the 21st century culture? Yeah, in lots of ways it might be a different culture. But seeking of the truth is still there. People around us who are seeking to understand what it means to have hope in their life, what it means to have peace in their life, what it means to have a deep joy in their life, how, how are they going to get through divorce, how are they going to get through marital problems, how are they going to get through drug addictions, how are they going to get through pornography addictions, how are they going to do all those things? Well, they're searching for truth. And when it comes to this passage, they understood in this passage that they were holding the teachings of the apostles in high esteem. Why? Because they saw the work of the apostles. They saw what was God was doing through them. Now, I would say that in our culture, if we're going to be the church that is alive, a church that's working, a church that has power, a church that people are going to look at, they're going to do that because they see the work of the church with God answering our prayers, with us appealing to culture, with us getting together in unity and doing the work of the church and seeing God's power within the church. So in this passage, verse 13 and 14, you see the people of God, they might have been afraid to show up again. They were living in fear. The people around them were living in search of the truth. Now, the apostles, look at this verse 13 again. None of the people uh, dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Verse 14, and then and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. Why? Because we go back to chapter 4 and we recognize that the apostles were in a place where they're lifting up the end of chapter 4, verse 20 verse 31, and continue to speak the word of the Lord with boldness. The word of God with boldness. What is the word of God? Well, it's the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus. More than that, it's not just about his life and death and resurrection. That is the gospel. But it was real. See, they had experienced it. They knew that 
they could talk about the gospel because it was real in their lives. They recognized that they could talk about a resurrected Savior because they recognized who he was. They had been there. And then the question becomes, as the church, you and me, at what point do we able to talk about the gospel, but are we able to talk about it because it's real with us? It changed us. It was a time where you know you're able to say, man, here's what God did in my life, and I'm never going to be the same again. Well, I can tell you my own personal testimony. It happened to me at Hillcrest Baptist Church in Carlisle when I was 17 years old, when I heard the guy speaking, the pastor preaching, when a Sunday school teacher said to me, you might know a lot about religion, but you don't know anything about a relationship to Christ. And when I became a follower of Christ, it changed everything. My friends, matter of fact, my friends didn't change. What changed was my attitude about my friends. No longer could I do the things my friends were doing, but what I had to do was tell my friends about who Jesus is in my life. Did it change my trajectory of life? Absolutely changed everything about where I was heading and what I was going to do and who I am today. All happened in that moment when I said, Lord, I surrender everything to you. Here, here I am. But that has to happen to each of us, right? It's a surrendering to the Lord to say, Lord, the gospel is true in my life, but it's living out in my life. It's coming out in who I am. And so the apostles were able to lift up the gospel. And so you had the church that was living in some kind of fear back here in verse 11, right? You had the people who are out here saying, what's going on? Where's the church? Why aren't they doing something? Why aren't they standing up? You have the apostles who are preaching the gospel. And then in this passage, you have the Lord adding to himself people coming to him people lives being changed now sadly when you read this passage it wasn't because the church was doing all that they should have doing it wasn't because the church was making jesus essential like you're supposed to be doing but it was the apostles preaching the gospel but what happens when the church becomes a church in the 21st century what happens when we, as a body of believers, begin to say, this is what God is leading us to do? So, we move on to the next couple of verses because we experience the presence of the Lord and who He is and making the church who it needs to be. But then we recognize the expectations of His power. And that was what we see in verse 15 and 16. So that, now, God was working in such a way so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Well, what is it they're looking for? What is the expectation of his power? One of the things that becomes very important is to recognize the relationship inside this, the relational security that becomes a part of it. Just a few years ago, well, fall of 2019, the year before the COVID, right? Uh, I, I had an opportunity to go to India, and I went to India, and we were uh, had traveled around northern India, and we were in uh, an area where the Ganges River is. I don't know if you've ever heard of that or not. The Ganges River is um, a, a river that flows all the way through India. India is Hindu in their religious structure. 
Uh, Hinduism believes in reincarnation. And if you can get to the Ganges River, it's like the holy river in India. As a matter of fact, it's the, also known as the dirtiest river in the world. Yet, the people come from all over India and other places that are Hindu in nature in order to baptize themselves in the Ganges River. Well, I'd heard about it, but then I got the opportunity to be there and to see it, right? So you have people who've lined up as far as you can see. If, you, if you're on the shore of the Ganges, as far as you can see, there are people. And they're going down in the river, right? And they are bathing in the river. They're baptizing themselves or maybe baptize someone else. And I don't mean as we baptize, but they're just kind of going down in the water. You'll see uh, a husband who may have his hand on his wife's shoulder and head and he'll push her under the water. Or you'll have a family who'll go out there together and they'll hold hands and they'll all go down in the water together. They do that because they believe that the Ganges is a holy river. And if they can get to the Ganges River and they can be baptized in the Ganges, it washes away their sin. They believe that. That is, that is their core belief, that they can get to the Ganges and they will have their sins washed away. They start over in their life. Now, what that does for them, it allows them to, if they die and when they die, they're going to have a higher level when they are reincarnated, when they come back to life again. Matter of fact, at night or even during the day, but at night it's, it's an awful sight because along the Ganges River are lots of fires because cremation is, uh, is the way that they uh, take care of their dead in India. And if, if you are cremated by the Ganges and they put your ashes into the Ganges River, your incarnation comes back at a much higher level. So people travel from all over the country in order to come there. And it's really a very, very sad sight to see. But what I took away from that was the sadness of seeing those families. Seeing a dad with his kids walking out into the water, baptizing his kids, putting them under the ganchies, knowing, hoping, desiring that there would be something inside that, something that he was going to do to allow his children to come back at a higher level in their next life. The brokenness of that, the sadness of that. Now, fortunately, in that whole area, though it's not easy to do, and by persecution, there are believers who are preaching the gospel. There are men and women and churches, and we with, with some of those who go down there to the, to the Ganges River, and they try to connect with people in a relational kind of way. They don't stand on the sideline and try to preach the gospel because if they were to do that, they would immediately be thrown in jail. But what they do is interact with people talk with people, build a relationship, because they recognize that building the relationship and building that security is so important. And I think that's what you see in this passage. I think here you begin to see the apostles building a relationship with the people, walking among the people, connecting with the people. Now, in a different kind of way, obviously, because in this verse it says that the people were coming out. They were just hoping that, that Peter's shadow, shadow would cover them. Now, the shadow that he's talking about here is a very superstitious religion, and they believed that if his shadow would cover them, they could be healed. Now, nowhere in this passage does it say that it happened. Okay? It just said that's what the people were hoping for. It does say that they were healing people. They, with physical healing, became very real in this case. They were seeing people healed by that. 
But in the meantime, what they were doing was among the people, going out where they were. Why? Because they desired more than anything else, the apostles, hopefully the church, especially the church today, they weren't desiring to heal people physically, though that happened and that occurs around the world all the time. What they were hoping for was spiritual wholeness, to be able to see people understand that they could be whole in their lives because of the gospel. That's what he says in verse 16. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were healed. The healing that he talks about there is not just a physical healing, but it's the healing of life, the brokenness, the hurt, the problems, the struggles, all the things you go through, all the things your family go through, all the things people that you work with go through. All the things that in your relationships go through, hurt, loneliness, depression, struggles. The apostles were among the people. They were bold in proclaiming Jesus. And because they were bold in proclaiming Jesus, lives were being changed. And that really is the focus of this passage. It comes out of a people who were afraid. A church who had seen God do something extraordinary. What was that? Well, two of the church members who thought they could get away with lying to the Holy Spirit died. And out of that fear, the apostles continued to preach the gospel in order to live among the people with great boldness. We sang a moment ago about the church that's alive, a church that's aflame is the word that we sang. And that's what we hear here, the beginning of the church going out to the people around them. And it calls us, right? It calls you and me to be the kind of people that are bold in all that we're doing. How are we going to do that? How are we going to be a church that is bold in reaching our community? Well, the first way we're going to do that is to find ourselves in the right position. What is that position? A position of a new life. A position of how Christ has changed us and that we can sing about our lives that was indeed a, a grave, but now the newness of the garden, the newness of completion, putting ourselves in a right position with the Lord so that we're able to speak out all that he's doing around us. I think a second part of that is to recognize the work of the Holy Spirit. How do we see the encounters with what God is doing? It's not by coincidence that you run into a person that you haven't talked to in a while. It's not by coincidence that you get to see a person that you haven't seen in a long time. Could it be that in our lives, we could begin thinking about everything that happens around us? It's not just happenstance or coincidence, but it's the work of the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit intersecting your life with another person's life who needs healing from the Lord. Well, they might not need physical healing, though they might. Maybe you need to pray for them about where they might be physically. But what we do know that those around us need is the wholeness of the gospel, the wholeness of the life of Christ who can change them. And if we, the church, are not going to live in fear, 
are not going to be the people who say, oh, we're afraid to do what God has called us to do. We're going to be the people who are saying when we walk out of this building, when we intersect with people around us, when we intersect with our friends at school, when we intersect those in the workplace, we're doing it living out the gospel, living out the gospel because we know that we are in our right relationship with him, right? That sin becomes a matter that we had to deal with and that we've dealt with it. That now because we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, it is making all the difference in how we live, what we do, what he does in and through you. And I think that's the joy about the church. I think that's what God wants to do in the life, in your life, in the life of this church, to make an impact in this community, to make an impact in the people around us, not because of what we do, but because of the boldness that we have in who he is. That makes the difference. Will you pray with me? Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father, as we come to you right now, we are grateful to your word. And Lord, my prayer is that your word is what speaks to us. We read the word when your people, the church, prayed and you moved. We read the word when your people went into the culture and the culture was affected not simply by our words, but by the power of the gospel. Father, I would pray that you would give us just great expectations of the power of what you want to do in and through our lives and in and through this church, this body of believers. Lord, that in all that we do, we can look toward the promises that you have given. Lord, we know that even in those promises, there can be difficult days. Even those, in those promises, there can be great persecution. Even in those promises, it can be difficult for us to be bold the way you desire us to be. But Father, that is our heart today. That you would so empower us by the work of your Holy Spirit. You would so allow us to see who you are. That as we leave, as we go into our work, life, all that we're doing, we're willing to be bold. We're willing to stand up. We're willing to speak out the gospel because we know who you are. And we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me right now? We're going to sing this song. I, I don't know how you typically do it here. We have an area where we, at our place, we pray. We come together. We pray. Our pastors are there. Uh, Pastor Brent will be here, maybe some others. But if you want to pray, man, we'd love for you just to be able to say, Lord, help me to be bold. Lord, I'm just asking you to give me boldness. I've got a, a friend that you need to pray for. Maybe there's somebody. Maybe, maybe God's going to put one person on your mind right now, and you say, I need to pray for whoever that is so that you can be bold to witness to them, bold to share the good news with them. You just need that one person, right, that you can share with. Maybe in your life, maybe that's that matter of sin that you need to say, Lord, I got to take care of this. I got to do with, maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ. And Christ really is bringing him to yourself. As we sing this song, we'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a Christ follower, what it means to have your life transformed by him. As we sing, you respond, not to me, not to the message, not to this church. You respond to what the Holy Spirit might be saying into your life even now.